Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hapgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, great to be here as usual and the week- weekend weather's looking fantastic to be honest. Not quite the warmer side of things but the... Uh the winds, which is the more important factor in our little discussion that we're going to have this morning, is uh, looking fantastic. Well, I'm a little bit knackered this morning. We had our first practice game yesterday, so oh, you had to do something this year. Just getting the getting the bones ready for. How, how's the body? I feel 31. <laughs> I'm not 31 yet, but I'm turning 31 this year. It's for the first time. Yeah, I can feel it. You know, Fair. that's all right. How's the how's the, how is the team looking? We haven't talked much for you to be honest with you. Are you boys looking all right? I think we'll be all right. Played against, uh, had a hit out against Collingwood yesterday. Played six quarters. Randomly, Brian Taylor and Cameron Ling actually called the game for um, for <laughs> those that were members of Collingwood and, uh, and Geelong. So it was. Where was the game uh, played at? Different at Kidinia Park. Any uh, restrictions with COVID or anything? Yeah, there was no uh, official attendance because uh, our AFLW women played later that night yep. and because of how strict they are with washing down of all the facilities. Yeah, and, gotcha. Um, Disinfecting, uh, disinfecting everything. So it's good to play out. You know, you know what's a little bit, uh, a little bit weird. Jez Cameron makes out he's his fisherman in Sydney. Fishes every single day, <laughs> and he hasn't even come fishing with me once yet. Have you had a word to him about that? <laughs> he's had a hammy, mate. He's been getting back to me. Hey, I tell you what, if he comes fishing with me in the North Bank for a week, you'll have more than a hammy problem. Let's put it that way. His back will be broken. <laughs> let's uh, get to. F- that's not. That's not a good thing to say about your boat. It's probably why. No, it's not the boat. It's just that. How did you go that time we went fishing? Depends how fast you drive it in the swell that you're in. <laughs> Let's get to a bit of fishing news and a few talking points from around not only the country but around the world. Teddy Prager, um, he's a tuna fisherman off Long Island, New York, runs a charter off there. He's got a beautiful 60 foot Viking, and they have been landing some of the biggest tuna you could possibly imagine. Is that, you know, it's no doubt it's one of the best places to go and fish recreationally for tuna, particularly if you want. Dinosaur size, literally few hundred kilo tuna. Yeah, for those that are playing along at home, is they're not uh they, these are different tuna to what we catch at home here. We catch southern bluefin tuna. These are the northerns. Uh, if you watch a show called Wicked Tuna, which has actually just gone back on air, I'm not sure if it's on Foxtel in Australia yet, but it's definitely America, and I'm going to chase it up because I love watching every series. I watch it in my own time, obviously, but. Those fish are monstrous, and it is a fish, that, and I'm not into, I do love catching big fish, don't get me wrong, but heading over there, you know what, I reckon I, you and I could nearly talk our way in over there and go over and try and catch a massive 200 plus kilo bluefin tuna. They, I've caught them up to 150 kilo, Pat, but these are like 1,000 pounds, up to 1,000 pounds, some of these fish, like they are monstrous fish. They certainly are. Uh, speaking of monstrous fish, there's a few great white sharks that have been um essentially followed by a New South Wales Sharks Mart. And there's some great um, online diagrams and videos that you can actually watch of these great whites and the patterns that they swim over a two- to three-year cycle. And we were looking at one during the week, Redmond, and it travels from northern Queensland 
down to Victoria, New over Zealand. to New Zealand, <laughs> and back again, and completes that trip five times within, I think it's twelve, twelve sort of eighteen months. It's quite extraordinary how far they swim in such a short period of time. And the first thing that we said to each other was like, "Are they? Why are they doing this? Like, why is it all of a sudden like I'm just watching that they've got a? If you want to do, if you do want to check out where the shark travelled, New South Wales underscore shark smart is how, how we seen it, and uh, you can actually watch it. They've got a live mapping that follows it on the on the video here, and um, it goes from Brisbane to New Zealand back to Sydney and straight down south to Victoria, and doesn't go any further than the prom. It's but it holds off the prom for a period of time because it zigzags back up and down. And then all of a sudden it flies up to near Townsville <laughs> and then comes back to New Zealand. So, like, why do these sharks do this? And oh, is it a current thing or is it a food source thing or is it just because well, that's why he's like me, an athlete of the sea? That's why he stopped at the prom. He's like, no, there's no, there's no <laughs> decent fishing here in Vic. <laughs> head back up the coast. There's nothing going to be big. Let's head back up north well, of New South Wales. It's funny how, out, how far out wide this shark is for majority of its majority of its travelling. And this goes to show how much the continental shelf plays in a food source for all our species that travel along the whole world, I guess. The continental shelf has an updwelling that produces live bait. And when I say live bait, it's because of marlin talk here, but bait, it produces a lot of food. And this shark travels out wide. Then once it hits Victoria... Instead of following the continental shelf down to south uh, to Tasmania, it actually comes inshore to where our current's running off the beach, down off sort of, I guess you could say that, Lake's entrance, Cape Conneran sort of way, down that way. So, yeah, it's a, it, it must be a food source thing, Pat. Uh, there is the... East Gippsland Shark Fishing Comp. Yes, there is. Uh, the 5th of March, first month of March. Uh, there's a 1000 bucks in prize money, plus a few other bits and pieces up for grabs. The competition goes for 50 hours straight. I'm oh. assuming it starts on a maybe a Friday night into basically the whole of the weekend. Um, there's a stack of different species, obviously, that you can catch along Karingal Beach, which is where it's held. Your tips for fishing and catching really good-sized sharks off the beach? Uh, this comp's a fantastic comp. It's a lot of catch-and-release, Pat. It's a fantastic catch-and-release comp. You can keep as well, but it is also a lot of people do release their sharks along the beach down that way. Uh, yeah, you've got to put in time to land fish off the beach. And there is a photo of how many people last year were fishing off the beach in such a short area. It's fantastic to see so many anglers down there. A couple of tips. Uh, it's going to be, because there's going to be so many people, you need to make, the, you need to be the difference. Now, don't think by getting your bait the furthest out is going to be the best option, especially if you're overnight. If you're overnight, don't be, the sharks will come in close to feed. So don't feel like you have to be 500 metres out, 600 metres out during the night. Where during the day, I'd be doing that little bit difference. I'd be getting your bait out a bit further. As far as you can. Yeah, as far as you can. Getting it away. Uh, I don't know uh, what style of burly people are going to use. There's going to be so many different methods. Like you've got to think, these guys down here fish down down this area a hell of a lot. They know what the best burly is. They know the best methods to get it out there in the area with the way the currents work. So what I'd be doing is I'd be heading down there beforehand. It's a little bit short notice now. And I'd be learning the conditions a little bit and working your best uh, route out for your burley. So burley, you need to get them to your bait to beat the bloke next to you. So whether you've got a burley attached on a breakaway to your rod might be worth it. Pat, maybe like a scale bag with a breakaway that attaches and then you get, and then all of a sudden it breaks away. Uh, it might be so many different methods. We don't want to litter into the ocean, but you'll work it out on the day and you hopefully you guys can land a 
and a quality big bronze whaler, but they get some hammerheads down there. I know they get the odd great white, obviously not meaning to catch that shark, obviously, Pat, but they do get that as a bycatch. They get the odd mako shark, uh, the odd thresher. So, yeah, it's a pretty exciting beach. That whole 90-mile beach, to be honest with you, is is pretty red hot, Pat. Uh, sea legs have introduced their new amphibious 7.5-metre hydrosol, so they continue to be the at the forefront of amphibious... Um, Boats. We've obviously seen a few other different manufacturers, particularly in New Zealand, um, sort of emulating what Sea Legs have done. So it's exciting to see that. I've watched and, and, and read through their latest review in Club Marine magazine. It's a fascinating boat, but it is not cheap. It starts at two hundred and seventy grand, um, which for a seven and a half meter boat, you can get a second hand Riviera thirty foot. How much did you say? Two seventy. It's a lot of money. It's a huge amount of money, but. <laughs> They are. They're, they're as good as it gets. Would you, doing what you do, living off the beach, would you contemplate getting one or is it just for... Back it, absolutely. You would. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. I love the I love the ease of the 15-foot stabby though. Like, I really enjoy launching off the beach and then... Battle on the waves. Drag it up and then, yeah, it's, it's uh, you can go anywhere with it. But yep. absolutely. The thing that we have to do is navigate rocks though, which most, if you're launching off the beach, most don't have to navigate literally the, the rocks along the... Um, along where you launch, whereas we do that constantly and we have to drift over a few when we go out. So you can't really have anything that's got too big a draft on it because you, you will hit rock. Instead of building that self-claimed mansion that you think you've got, you should have built a rock wall around that point there for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get to your week in fishing. As you Once again, had real success on the tuna as well as the, the whiting. It's one of these things that people tend to forget once we see kingfish, we see tuna. Well, um, There's been some good gummy... Uh, shark captures this week but the whiting continue to fish really well and I'd hate to say I was right but I was right I uh the tuna fishing is just better I said to everyone was getting front remember what what do you reckon Pat? it would have been eight weeks ago maybe and uh, we we're sitting here talking tuna 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 probably even longer ago and everyone was saying how hard they were to catch remember how hard they were to catch how hard they were to catch only the odd person was getting a bite they are feeding so hard on the surface it is so amazing to see like I'm talking not one school, like in one area of Bowen Head, say, there might be 40, 40, four or five different schools of hundreds and hundreds of fish in your eyesight. And you can bounce from school to school. And I've changed back to my methods from last year. So remember I was talking about the teaser bars, doing all the work, bringing the fish up for me. Now I've completely, I, I don't get me wrong, I'm still running the teaser bar first thing in the morning when they're not up on the surface. Yep. But once that sun brings them up, which I'll probably head out today when you and I finish this, I'll get there. I probably won't even take my trolling rods out today. I'll probably just take my casting rods. And I am confident enough that I'm going to get out there and have a school show up in front of me that I can work either with the bungee cast, with a plastic, or even a popper. Poppers have been dynamite. Now, last year, no one... Don't get me wrong, people were using poppers. But this year, they've been a standout. They've created a massive splash, a huge splash in the water. Sort of like that teaser bar pat that we were talking about last time. It was it, it creates that movement in the water, that distraction. The fish are annihilating it. I filmed with Paul Worsling a few months ago for iFish TV. Not a few weeks ago for iFish TV. Have you heard of the Rapala Explode pat? A, a, a popper? I actually have, yeah. It would be... It's the biggest popper. I was going to say, seen. it's like a three meter flat. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> mate, it should only catch three meter flathead because this thing is huge. And I, when Paul put it on, and I'm pretty realistic with my fishing. I'm not into the whole, oh, this might work, this might work. It's more like it does or it doesn't. Yeah, what Paul, does work? Yeah, Paul put it on. I'm just, I didn't say anything. I'm like, 
things you do for TV. I'm looking at Paul. Sure enough, he hooked up right next to me as I missed mine with my small popper. <laughs> but he hooked up, which is awesome to see. So poppers have been fantastic. Now, the biggest thing that's happened in the past two weeks is our water temperature, the thing that I spoke to you about, it has gone stable. And when it goes stable, that's when things tend to stay more consistent. We haven't had so many hot days, but we haven't also had those cold days. We're holding that 22 to 28. It, I know that seems like a lot, but it's not. It's it, we're, we're, During the peak hour of the sun, the sun's on the water, everything's staying really, really good. And these kingfish in the rip, for instance, and down the coast have been going ballistic, Pat. When I say ballistic, it is the it, they are going as good as they ever have. The only thing different to the other years is what are we in now? We're nearly, we're nearly at the start of March, so we're at the end yep. of Feb. And I it, know because it's my wife's birthday coming up and I forgot it's it last mine, year, You so. don't even know that's because it's mine today, <laughs> 27th of Feb. Is it really? It is, so just don't worry about that. What's in, my, what's in your car that I can have today? Any more, any more runners for me? <laughs> <laughs> so it is, that's all right, we'll let you off with that one. But it, uh, it, uh, yeah, so 30, we, hey? How's 30? No, 29. <laughs> I'm 29, 92 boy. But anyway, the fishing's red hot. I got some magnificent flathead again. And if you do want to listen to any of our previous shows, Pat, make sure you download our app, Real Adventures app. You can download it and find all of our podcasts and our shows all on there, plus heap of recipes too, which comes in handy as I used it after I caught my flathead during the week. Pat, the flathead, thick as anything, whiting, thick as anything. Everything has been seriously, seriously good. The only thing is, oh, there's a lot of people... <laughs> they're forgetting the tuna and the kingfish take your head elsewhere and they're forgetting your gummy sharks they're forgetting the mako sharks they're forgetting the whiting they're forgetting the squid in the bay other than live bait for the kingfish so if you are wanting to head out this weekend and the weather looks fantastic so if you do want to head out don't think that you've seen on facebook you've only got two hours to get kingfish which around the rip you only you do only have two hours to get kingfish but you can always go saw something out. So you can go for a gummy shark. You can head out for a tuna. You can head up the bay for a flathead, a whiting. There is so many species on offer at the moment. So February, you, March. When you're targeting your whiting, you're targeting that dirty water change yep. of tide? To be, to be honest with you, yes. You If you do that, if you follow all that stuff, you're going to get more fish and a lot of fish. But February, March is the best month for fishing, in my opinion. There's two months there. It is the best time to be fishing. The whiting aren't as fussy as they normally are. Yep. You'll be able to... Be able to get a feed of fish. You might get 10, 20, 30, 40. Whatever you want to get, you should be able to get that pretty comfortably. And like I said, with your pelagics and whatnot in between, the like there's not been with the weather that with the weather the how vicious the weather can be around the whole country, Port Phillip Bay and what we have in Bastrade, I don't think there's a better place to be fishing at the moment. Boy. What do you reckon? You're happy with yourself. Oh, I think it's fantastic. Tuna, kingfish, sharks, gummy sharks, whiting, all in calm weather. We've got a massive show of Real Adventures coming your way this morning. Make sure you tune in after the break. We've got the social club coming up where we answer and take your questions from our social media platform as well as if you want to download our Real Adventures app. Make sure you do that. As Aaron said, it's got all our latest tips, tricks, recipes uh, and all our podcasts downloaded in one place on our Real Adventures app. We'll catch you after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club where we take your questions from social media or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. It's got all our latest tips, news, recipes, plenty of videos on there, Redmond. And if you send in questions, you can talk to us directly on our 
Real Adventures app. It's always good to download. Uh, the first one is from Stodge. Hi, guys. Do you know anyone that repairs fish finders? I have an issue with mine. I can't find anyone that works on them. Cheers. This is a bit of a challenging one, Redmond, because obviously it's quite generic in terms of got a bit of an issue, can't find anyone that works on them. Most marine dealerships will be able to point you in the direction of someone. It just depends on how old the unit is because quite often if if we're talking sort of something that's five plus years old, the technology moves so quickly that any old sort of setup becomes quite superfluous quite quickly. It does. And, and, it, and it can quite often cost you just as much to – um, get it repaired to repair it than it would be a, a new unit particularly for the older models because technologies move so quickly if you've got a 7 inch that 5 years ago or 6 years ago top of the range you paid 1500 bucks for you can get the same thing now for half that sometimes even less so that's the sort of challenge you've got when you go to repairing fish finders and what's available Devin what is the most overrated option to put on a boat Patrick you're a, you love your Love my toys. Love your toys. I've bought plenty of things that I've rarely <laughs> used over the, the years. Can I throw in a quickie? Just a quick one? Yeah. Well, I'm I'll, going radar. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I said it. That's, well, that's the most obvious one, I think, when it comes to... You reckon it's overrated? Yeah, absolutely. the use that you get off it? Well, it depends what you do. Well, I think it's great for pinging people and their marks. <laughs> if you... Yeah, actually, for me, it's probably great because you can find out, <laughs> you can find and knock off the marks of. I'm not going to, you know, I'm like slot yourself. I'm not going to mention a name, but I was on the phone to a fellow the other day, and I was fishing this mark, and he goes to me, "Oh, where are you fishing?" And I'm not going to say anything because I don't want it to come back. But I'll tell the story, and he goes to me, "Where are you fishing?" I said, oh, "I'm here, here, here." He goes, oh, "Are you on that? Are you on a reef there?" And I said, "Yeah," and he goes, "Oh, that's what I'm heading out that way too." I said, "How do you know about this area?" And he goes, oh, a guy that I was talking to at the ramp coming with his, these schoolies and gummies one time and big schoolies and gummies and goes and goes to me, um, I, I've spoke to him at the ramp a few times. He would never, and I'm mates with him, he goes, he would never give me the mark. It was a secret, blah, blah, blah. So, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, I was out drifting one time and just getting some pinkies and I seen him out there and my radar. So I just motored up a bit closer, made out I was trolling for tuna and uh, went bang and got the exact mark and I've caught the best schoolies <laughs> and gummies I've ever caught. <laughs> So there you have it. The most underrated option in a boat is radar. Well, from from my experience, because my old boat had one on it, and I just didn't – I never used it, mainly because I mostly fish with you when I fish on the big boat and you're a living encyclopedia <laughs> of, of marks yourself. But say, for example, when I go up north and fish with Bomber off, um, off Crude Island, um, and Bomber does a lot of testing for mercury, if you want, if you want – an engine tested, that's where you send it because it's about as as arid and isolated place you could possibly get. Incredibly tough on gear. You know, you go up there. But that is a place where you, if you're sailfish fishing, then you can spend hours chasing birds. And if yep. you're not there, it's really tough. So you, obviously the quality of... Would you spend money though to get a specific radar that actually supports the function of uh, searching for birds? Oh, no, because no. You, you, there's a difference between spending 1800 bucks on the one you buy off the shelf versus spending like five or six grand and, and at times more than that for a, a function that you rarely use. Yeah. That's just my opinion. So, very, very cool. Yeah. 
I tend to agree with you on that. Chris Telford, what's the secret to multiple tuna hookups, Aaron? I've seen you've had a few of late. How do we do it? Yeah, good question. Now, a lot of people, when they're trolling, for instance, is the excitement comes in and you're trawling through this awesome pack of birds and the fish are jumping around you and you hook up. And what happens, a lot of people tend to, the first rod goes and they knock their boat out of gear straight away and grab the rod out and start bringing the other ones in. Now, if you're equipped properly, as you all should be, and I'm running 8,000 Saragosas or 10,000 Saragosas, I'm running for these school bluefin at the moment, Pat, and I'm trawling through it. Quite often, the first lures will go through. And if the closest one to the boat goes through, I just keep going. I just keep going. So you just keep yep. trawling. Let your drag scream off. That's fine. You should have enough line. You should be equipped, ready to go. Keep motoring, keep motoring, keep motoring. And the more you motor through it, you've also got the chances of your long corners and your shotgun pulling through and you've got two, three or four or five rods that could potentially go off. So when you're trawling, make sure that you, you keep trawling through that school. Don't just stop the boat instantly the minute a rod screams off. Number two is when you're surface casting, uh, you need to position your boat correctly. Don't have it so, for instance, say you're drifting towards, and, and don't get me wrong, at the end of a drift, so what I mean by a drift, say the school of fish are jumping uh, south south of us, you want to start on, and you've got a north wind, you want to start on the north side, and you want to drift towards that school. Now, I turn the engine off to keep quiet, and I have two people casting at the school. So you want to make sure that you've got, you're, you're casting at the school, and everyone everyone I know, except one bloody person, my mate Gibber, he casts, he casts left-handed. Like he actually casts, so he's right-handed and mine's right-handed, but he casts left-handed. So he's actually the only person I know that does that. I don't know if you know anyone that does that. What a freak. That's what I think. And you know, he bats <laughs> he bats left-handed in cricket and plays golf right-handed, which is one of those he's, ones. He's a very confused, he's a very confused <laughs> he's individual. Very that's, confused. What's, that's what's wrong so with him. So it's, well, you want to position everyone on the right-hand side of your boat, on the starboard side of your boat, to cast towards those fish, because as a driver, you can see visually better. So you don't want to get to the school and have it cast into the wind, because you might only get one cast at it, then all of a sudden you've drifted with the wind away from it, and you only get one fish. Well, you've got two people casting, you can cast towards the fish, you both can hook up and fight that fish, and then you just knock the boat in gear, drive around, and all of a sudden you've got you go back to the wind side, and you can fight the fish on both sides of the boat. So that there is the best way to get multiple tuna hookups. Jake Edwards, Jake Edwards rather. Boys, top end speed or out of the hole grip? What's more important when considering an engine? Oh, I'm 100% out of the hole. I've dropped down to a 16-inch prop on my boat, and it's uh, I could throw you out the back in half a second. It, uh, I don't really care. I think my top end speed's around 70, 70 to 78. I think 78 Ks. Which is quick enough anyway. But exactly my point. You just don't get that many opportunities to go hammer down full throttle. What do you mean? It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas there's plenty of times where, particularly when you launch out of Bowen Heads and you're going through the Bowen Heads River, that you need that whole shot in order just to go bang, I just to get up over a wave or... To get you out of a crap situation, I'd, it's, having top end speed isn't going to help you when you're trying to get through the rip and it, the ebb tide's punching through and the waves are lifting and you want to lift your nose up so you don't cop a big white cap over the top of your boat. Your top end speed ain't going to help you there because you're only going 10 knots. You want to have the punch out of the hole to lift your lift your nose up and throw yourself up over the wave rather than, when I say throw yourself up, you're not launching yourself, but you want to be able to push your nose up. You don't want to be going top end, hold on, let's go mm, full throttle and you're going nowhere. You really want to kick the nose up. You want to you want to lose your top end speed a little bit to gain as much as you can out of the hole. That's my opinion. And I think if you speak to most people, other than race people, which they probably want it out of the hole too. <laughs> they like getting out of the mark quick there, Pat. I think they'll agree with us. 
Graham G, twin or single engines? I'm looking at restoring an old Formula 21. Mm. Any tips? I think the most important, like, mm. there's some great online forums that you can go on. There's some really good Facebook groups that you can join. You can obviously join and hit like on our Real Adventures uh, Facebook page. But when it comes to restoring old Haynes boats, there's pages on Facebook that are specifically designed for literally chat around old school deep Vs. Yeah, there is. Old Haynes hunters. There's plate boat uh, Facebook sites. And there is so many posts of people asking questions and there's a few smart asses in there but most are really willing to help and, and offer their advice on either mistakes that they've made throughout their journey of restoring a boat or what has worked well for them and what they'd recommend because every boat performs differently what, That's I, right. what I would say twin engines versus singles when the formulas were originally designed they were designed for weight whether that's a inboard motor or the old school um, two strokes, they were designed for weight. So you've got to keep that in mind for its best performance. It still needs to be a weighty hull, Redmond. Yeah, spot on. And like you said before, it's about holding the water too. So for instance, your 750, your needs twin engines. Uh, I know Al McGlashan's gone a single on a 650 hardtop. You had a single on a 650 hardtop too. Yep. Uh, that's where I would start to look at, uh, discuss uh, running twins. Now, the reason for that is I don't like trim tabs. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of trim tabs. I tend to try not to use them. Uh, most boats, if you learn your trim properly, you don't need to use them. But I'd like to, yeah, you'd if you could organize a test run, that's what I'd be doing. And I'd be making the judgment off that. I'd be testing one with so one with the with the weight that you're aiming to aiming to get. So, for instance, you're buying the 21. Make sure you work out what weight you want to build it from because you got to add a lot of glass. So you want to try and stick to your weight. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be going. I'm mentioning a guy. Say, mate, I'm looking at buying one. Would you mind if I go on a test run with yours? I'd be trying to go a single or a twin. A 21 isn't a big boat. It's only just it's only a little bit bigger than a six meter. So I reckon I'd be going a single engine on that, and I'd be going on the if you add weight, I'd be going slightly up on the horsepower a little bit, maybe like that 250. You don't need to go stupid of uh, 400, but I reckon somewhere around that 250, get it propped right, you'll be, uh, you'll be laughing. That is the Social Club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures app or you can contact us on our Real Adventures socials. It's time for our dream boating destination. Our dream boating destination for this morning is Southwest Rocks in New South Wales, located on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Um and near the mouth of the Maclay River. Once again, a really, really good fishing destination. But when it comes to fishing Redmond... Um, There's nothing better. <laughs> I said Victoria before was... Well, we say this every week <laughs> with our dream boating destinations, but there's there's so many great places and so many different species to fish from. And there's some really good... Before you get into the actual species, Redmond, there's some really good charter companies that you can, you can follow or you can actually look up and then head out with them. So That was my segment. You still had it sitting here. The Southwest Rocks Fishing Adventures, Southwest Rocks Estuary Charters. So once again, they'll head inland, obviously. And there's the Rocks Fishing Charters, as well as a few more as well. So there's some really good options there. If you're not bringing your own boat, you can go there, you can hit those guys up, and you can head out on their charters. 100%. And you're going to catch things like... Big Mulloway, big Mulloway. I could be here for all day naming all the species you catch around the Southwest Rocks area. Big Mulloway, you get dolphin fish out wide. Off the rocks, you're going to come across mackerel. Yeah, mackerel off the rocks part. You've got tuna. Don't get me wrong. You've got marlin fishing out wide, but you've also got black marlin in close. So you've got a lot of marlin options out of Southwest Rocks. 
Like you don't, it, it it doesn't finish there. And like you said, then you head back into the estuary. You've got monster flooded. You've got brim. You've got whiting. You've got everything. So if you haven't been to Southwest Rocks, it is a place that I'd be heading for sure. And I'm not going to forget it. The kingfish fishing is amazing. Southwest Rocks, our dream boating destination for this morning. All aboard for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. Time for All Aboard for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living, Dometic, it's all made easy. Our special guest this morning is Gwaine Blake and his professional services. If you want to go on a guide, Redmond, you can hit up Gwaine and he'll take you. Basically, whether it's helping set up your boat, what species you want to catch, Gwaine can cover it all. He does, he does catch some fantastic fish for his punters. And Gwaine has done a couple of trips in the past week. So we're going to let Gwaine take us through it. Where have you been? Where are you now? And what's going on? At the moment, I'm actually just drifting out the front of the caravan park down at Walkerville. We're catching a few calamari and we're going to head off shore a little bit later on and try and target some kingfish and maybe a tide change on the gummies as well. But yeah, the last probably the last week I've been fishing down out of Shallow Inlet. We launched at Shallow Inlet last Friday night for that beautiful balmy weekend and, and we shot out to the Glennies group. And there's a big boulder sort of, I don't know, probably half the size of a house and has a strop with two, two ropes coming off it in a spring. So you sit behind the boulder there in a bay in beautiful crystal clear water. You drop your anchor back up to the strop, tie it off to your cleat and then tie, tighten your anchor up and your boat goes nowhere and we had three of us in my little uh, 1850 Fisher with the swags in the back, all nice and comfy. And yeah, it was a great weekend. Chasing live bait down there, Gwaine, and uh, it's, it is one of the hardest things to source at times. It's not like you can stop at the bait shop and buy live bait. You've actually got to go out there and find it yourselves. And these areas that we're fishing is so far offshore and there, there's so many different areas to chase. One time you get them in one spot, then you can't get them in another. How do you go about trying to source your live bait in new areas? Basically, I find that anywhere you can sort of get off the edge of those the, the main reef structure, which in, in Victoria around that 35 to 40 metres as it turns to rubble and shale that's where we get a lot of our life bait obviously we've got the garments and ours have been set up so well that i can cruise at you know 25 30 knots pick up that bait ball quickly mark it on my map turn back around and we'll drop sabikis into it so that that's a great thing to do when the day lights up but when it gets darker all those fish move in shallow and they want to get away from the predators so on friday night we're actually in eight meters of water tight in against the glennies have my underwater lights on and that brings all the sort of krill and stuff around the boat and then the live bait turns up to feed on that and that's, that's how we were getting them that night. Gwaine, clearly one of the critical elements of any boat obviously is having a really well set up bait tank as well in order to actually keep that bait fresh for a long period of time and keep it alive for a long period of time. That's right. So I've got a pretty big actual live bait tank but the main thing you want is good flow. So I've got an 800 litre or 800 volume pump that's pumping a lot of water through so I'm probably changing all the water in my actual live bait tank every minute so you want really good flow it's not about bubbles and stuff like that it's actually about keeping that water flow through because the live bait get scared when they're in the tank they urinate and that that nitrate in the in the water can actually burn their gills and kill them so you need good flow and you 
and a good live bait tank actually has the inlet at the bottom of the tank and that pushes all the water around and then goes out through the top. The guys that have the ones that spray in from the top, generally that just sits stagnant down below and, and you still start losing your live bait. So a handy hit to make sure that your, your inflow is at the bottom of your tank to mix it right around. Take us back home, Gwaine, for a bit. Let's uh, go back to your guiding service. For those who do want to guide with Gwaine, make sure you do give him a call and contact him through his Gwaine professional. What are you uh, going to be targeting over the next couple of weeks, Gwaine, uh, if they, people do want to make a booking? Basically, I'm booked out now till um, April, but mainly everyone at the moment's fixated on the kingfish and um, tuna. But I'll, I'll start switching over to the whiting. The whiting starting to get really big again as that water temp starts dropping off. Sort of through March, we're going to get really big whiting in Western Port. Gummies are going really well, and probably it'll probably be another month. The end of April, I'm actually going to start heading down the west, start targeting some Mullaloo and stuff too. So they follow me on my Facebook or Insta. You'll see when I start heading that way, and I'll ta- I will take bookings for down there as well. So. So I do mix it around, around the state a bit. We love having him on Real Adventures, Gwaine Blake, professional services on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to get in contact with Gwaine, make sure you do. Thanks for joining us this morning, Gwaine. Thanks, guys. Go catch some fish. <laughs> Will do. Cheers. He is one of the best in the business. That was all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. And now it's time for Red's Review for Club Marine. <laughs> Red's Review for Club Marine. Insure your boat with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call and ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. It's a special one this morning. It's one that is relevant for anyone that's running any boat of a decent size where you need to start looking at an electric braking system for your car. Redmond, both you and I have the Red Arc system. It's functional. It's very, very easy to use, which is one of the most important things for... I don't care what product you buy. If it's not easy to use, then you're just not going to spend time actually using it. But the simplicity for us is why we really like it. And it's, to be honest, it's what most of the... You go to most mechanics, this is what they're going to recommend. Or most dealerships, this is what they'll recommend when they start talking about an electric braking system. Yeah, you're spot on. It's something you must have legally and not just that... When you're travelling to Eden and you're up on those hills and it's a bit wet on the road, it's and three tons behind three you, three tons pushing <laughs> you down a hill, is something that I want to have on a on a on a car and a boat part. They're, around, they're they're a little bit on the pricier side. They're around that three hundred dollars just to purchase, and then obviously installs going to be installs going to be the, it's the yep. killer. So that's the killer. So it is a must. It's a bit pricey to get it fitted out, but it is well worth it. And just to give you a little rundown of sort of how it works is. Mine's positioned in my car on my right-hand side of the car. So if underneath, basically, I'm in the Volkswagen. My indicators are back to front, things like that. It doesn't really work very well, Pat. Bloody European <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll get in the <laughs> missus' car. i got windscreen wipers going, water going everywhere. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> but I've got my red arc on the, on the bottom right-hand side there. Uh, and how I'd like to test it to see where it is, uh, where you want to have your, your gauge set, as I should probably say, your gauge runs sort of from one to, I think it's one to nine. 
And what what you have it on is I like to set up before I go away. I don't do it before I go away because you got to remember now I've got all the all the weight in the boat of all your rods and everything that your camping gear. And I'm about to go to Eden next week. And basically, what I'm trying to say is you need to make it set for your trip. Don't just set it and then run and think that's going to work forever. So what I do is it's actually one of the things I'm really conscious of when I pack the boat in the car. I'll put as much in the car as I possibly yep. can because the extra weight it's just towing it's other thing yeah and it's like it obviously it adds to the whole the total mass because it's the car the boat weight, anyway yep. but yeah it's just the extra weight it's things that move on it and I don't know I'm just, I'm, I'm just funny about it because we, when we travelled to um, Cairns a couple of years ago we were we were mindful of not overloading the 750 because we were right on our um, on our limit when we were towing we had to tow it with basically an empty fuel tank in order to get around to, to sit under the 3.5. Jeez, how lucky was I towing that around the whole time? <laughs> I, don't make out we did it. I did it. <laughs> oh, I had a caravan. That was, two, that was, that was a had, boxy as two and a half ton caravan. <laughs> Back to what I was saying. <laughs> how you said it is I like to go to about 40 kilometres an hour and most people have a, a quiet road around their house so you can find some You've got streets everywhere around your joint, Pat, that has no one there. And you can drive. And I just like to – I fiddle with it. So I go up to – I start at about three or four, just naturally go up to that. And then I start to press the brake. And once – I don't want it to skid at all. You yeah. don't want it to, like, oh. lock up the trailer. You want it to – you want to be able to feel it slowing the car up. So you can actually feel it pulling the car rather than the car trying to – Being moved, pull, by, yeah, the moved trailer. by the trailer. You're actually yeah. feeling it the other way. So that's the best way to explain it. But like I said, the more weight you put in, the heavier things get and the longer it takes for things to stop. So be mindful and adjust for basically uh, – adjust for whatever trip you're, you're about to head to. That is Red's review, reviewing the Red Arc electric braking system. That was Red's review for Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski this summer? Get a quote from Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's Tip. Can I do like an early flying gaff? Because my tip today is about... There's an irony to this. <laughs> this yeah. is actually good. So I'm actually doing Red's tip now, but it's about gaffs, so it's relevant. <laughs> my flying gaff is going to... Gibber gets another mention today. He's my best mate, Gibber. We'll give him, we'll give him another mention, Pat. We're out fishing. Couple- I love how you just reference random guys. No, I'm know. just saying. No, he's like, a good I, mate I, of mine. I know, Gibber, but you'll talk about no, things. Everett. You'll review boats. Oh, it makes people... At, everyone will feel like they're like close to the show. I was out with Benji last week. Yeah, Benji's a good bloke. All right. How'd you meet him? Oh, no, I won't give you any context to what I'm talking Down about. Down at the Marlow I'll pub. just talk about a random guy that I've I've met at Portland well, while I was at tuna I'm not, fishing. I'm not just going to say I went out with this bloke the other day. This is a relevant story. This is I went out with Gibber the other day, and Gibber's a good mate of mine. That's done. That's done. That's enough info. All right. <laughs> Keep going. We went out fishing off Barwon Heads, and uh, Gibber had... Because we, we're under those teaser bars, and I explained to you how long it is to drag him in. Like, it takes a long time to pull him up towards the boat. And I said to Gibber... So I was doing that. I said, oh, Gibber, do you want to whack the gaff in it? And I had it under control. And he goes, yeah, no worries. And it was his first fish for the season he'd caught. 
and he's reaching over Pat. No word of a lie. He's had five or six shots at this fish, and I'm saying to him, "Turn the gaff around, Kiba. Turn the gaff around." He's like, he was legit. Had the nose of the gaff pointing towards the front of the boat, and the fish was on the right hand side, like on the towards the engine, and he's just swinging, and I, the gaff was completely the other way, and I'm and I just stopped and looked at him, like I just let go of the teaser and let the fish go, and was just looking, going, "Are you like deliberately doing that?" And he's like, "Oh, what?" I said. You've got the gaff facing the other way. So he literally gets the first gaff today because he... I don't know what he was even aiming for, but he had it the wrong way. So what are the things that you need to focus on when looking at an effective gaff shot? Having it the right way. <laughs> Which is what? It's, so it's faced... One thing I'll give you a hint with gaffing any fish is you don't need to swing a gaff like you're having a baseball shot. You do not need to do that. That... If I was to roll the gaff, for instance, Pat, along your thigh there, and you were the weight of you with me just lifting up, that would probably go through your leg. Yep. A fish is a lot softer than probably what your leg is at the, like sitting there right now. They're flesh. Now, how you want a gaff is it comes alongside. I go with the with the with the hook of the gaff going uh, going from top to bottom. Does that make sense? That's yep. So rolling over rolling the top. around. Yep. yep. And as it comes up, I put the gaff over the top of the fish, and I just lift up. Yep. I just lift up and literally You're as casual as that. not trying to yank the hell out of the thing. Nope. Like. You can go underneath if you, you... Don't get me wrong. You need to change to the circumstances of the way the fish is rolling. You always need to do that. I'm just yep. talking about the easiest way. You don't need to go 100 miles an hour and just go bang like a playing bloody golf or something. Just reach over, casually take your time because as soon as you start swinging, that's when things go wrong. You can hit lines, you can hit the fish and pee it off and it will take off again. Oh, and you can hurt it and lose it, and all of a sudden the fish is going to bleed out and die. Just roll over gently, pull the gaff in. Now, I always aim for the top shoulder. It's You don't want to hit it in the middle of the fish or down the tail end because it's where you, you're going to wreck not only the fish that you're going to eat, but also you hit the tail, it sets them off, and you're holding on doing circles with a 30-kilo tuna. It's not easy to hold. Top of the shoulder, and you just lift them up. And the tail with the tail movement, naturally, it brings the fish to you because they're kicking up towards you. If you do want to get a kill shot, which as people call it, you can hit them in the gills as well. And if you do hit a fish in the gill, it's going to bleed out quite bad and make a messier boat. Where the top shoulder, if you do get it in the top shoulder, it will then come up nice and you can get a nice photo with only a hole on one side of the fish rather than the other side. That's the easiest way to gaff a fish. That's Red's tips. Time for the flying gaff. And the flying gaff this week uh, goes to one of the all-time greats who we lost on Monday at training Redmond. It was a very, very sad day. But Vic Fuller, who was a um, a volunteer at the Geelong Footy Club for close to 50 years, mm. um, sadly passed away at training Monday morning. It was a really confronting sort of day for, for everyone at the footy club. It was really tough to see poor old Vic go down. And, um, you know, we're, we're thinking of, of Vic's family and uh, his, his kids, his wife, Nola, the grandkids, because Vic was an absolute gentleman. He's manned the door for the last few years. Um, he is a hilarious man to have at the footy club, Redmond. He, he loved the, the band. and loved telling a, a story. Um, so we're going to miss Vic dearly. Um, it certainly won't be the same place without him. Um, you know, great footy clubs, you look at them right around the country, right around the world, you see, you know, big buildings, um, but it's about the people and Vic was what made the Geelong Footy Club uh, a better place. And, you know, it's often been quoted this week that when people would come to the footy club, he'd say to them, I've, I've been here before you, I'll be here after <laughs> you. And it was just one of those things Um that Vic would say, along with many other things and stories that, that he'd talk about. So he's going to be certainly missed. 
Um, but from a player's perspective, Vic, we'll miss you. But certainly upstairs, there's no doubt you'll be holding the keys to the uh, St. Peter's Gate. So <laughs> look out if you're trying to get uh, into heaven over the next few days. Unless you've got your wristband, you will not be getting in. So uh, Vic, rest in peace, mate. You've been listening to Real Adventures. We'll catch you next week. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.